Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. I like standing in the back over there like we're backstage, like, like nobody can see us and we can't see it. Like we haven't been just standing out here like picking our wedgies we're for the shit, past half hour. We're shit-talking queer literary awards in the corner if you need more information. As we do. As we do. Um, you guys, this is Allie Liebegott. I'm here to, to, to toot her horn. Look, at this is her beautiful new book, The Summer of Dead Birds. She made, that, she made the painting on the cover because she's also a painter as, as well as a writer. Some people can do both. Um, so, so, you know, like, so Allie's uh, wife person, Beth Pickens, has, ref has referred to the Libagodian voice in a sort of humor, humorous way, but there really is a Libagodian voice, you guys. And it is like, it is just, it's filled with all this pathos and it's like very serious and gritty and it's also super absurd and funny and like gross, like grossly funny, like really hilarious, like the kind of, you know when you start laughing and you kind of have a weird spell and you can't stop laughing and then you start crying, it's like that. You know, Allie's writing, and um, and yeah, it has all, so much tenderness, and it's really unafraid. It's unafraid to get really dark and really, really real um, and super tender, and then unafraid to, like, just be really weird and really funny, and always has such a moral compass embedded in it, not hammering you over the head with it. It's just there. It's the heart of all of Allie's work. It's just this really beautiful sense of justice that sort of grounds ev everything that she does. Um, what do you think of that? Well, Pretty cool, huh? It's really nice. Yeah, thank you. I fucking freestyled that, you know? Because I've no, I've okay. Me and Allie met each other. Let's make this more about me for a minute. You'll have your time. You'll have your time. We met each other. <laughs> the year was 1993. I was very drunk at the Paradise Lounge, and I uh -oh. got on the mic, and I was like, "I'm gonna start an all-girl poetry gang. Who, if you want to be in a gang, come talk to me after the reading." And all these bitches came who all wanted to be in a, a writing group. They all wanted to workshop poetry. And Allie was the only person who was like, I want to be in a gang. And so, in fact, we started, like, we went and we would, like, stencil things, like, women for the ethical, animals for the ethical treatment of women yes. was one. All over San Francisco. All, yeah. Ban testosterone By before way, testosterone meant what it does yes. today. Los Feliz, Los Feliz graffiti always makes me laugh. Has anyone noticed the graffiti in Los Feliz? It's like, stop taking selfies. <laughs> It's so specific to Los Angeles and Los Feliz experience. Consumerism. Go ahead, buy another sweater. It's like I. This was. It's this was pre that. We we, we laid the groundwork for that, Michelle. Yeah, it's all our fault. Um, so I um, have. So I, I've been friends with Ali since her, she was self-publishing poems in poetry chapbooks, and they've always been so strong and so beautiful and, and gripped every, like when we would go on the first Sister Spit tour and nobody knew who any of us were and, and Ali would just like sell out of her chapbooks because everyone would just fall in love with her voice, the Libagadian voice. And so I want to know, can you tell us the story of the story of the Summer of Birds? Because I know it has its own sort of backstory. Sure. Yeah. For, 
I do, I do want to formally thank Skylight for having us and for supporting poets and even having a poetry section um, that isn't just, um, I don't know, like a calendar of poems, you know, in most <laughs> bookstores. And um, thanks everyone for coming out. Your fear as a poet, I think especially in Los Angeles, is that no one will know what that means. So um, it's really, really nice to see so many faces of people who mean so much to me. Um, so that I've known for so many there's so many San Franciscans here that knew Michelle and I back in the day when we were running around. Um, but anyway, yeah, so this book is my first book that I ever published. Michelle's also responsible for all of my books being published. She's kind of brought them all to the publisher and said, publish this person. And I'm so grateful to, the, to you for that because this book was written in um, really 2007 and um, it sat in a drawer and no one wanted to publish it and no one wanted to publish it. And then Michelle started this um, imprint at um, Feminist Press called Amethyst Books, and um, and they didn't even want to publish it. And then, um, <laughs> well, they they, no, they, they were afraid to publish. <laughs> they were afraid to publish poetry. Like people, are, even publishers are afraid of poetry, you know. And so I just had to explain that you're thinking about it wrong. It's it's don't think about it as a poetry book. Think about it as an Ali Liebegott book. And then they were like. They're like, oh. who's Ali Liebegott? And no. she's like, just trust me on this one. <laughs> but um, anyway, so so it's so wonderful because you write books and then they sit in a drawer and you wonder, are they books? You know they are, but to have it be, in, you're like, it is a book. So it's always validating to, to do that. And they were very generous to let me take off the horrible cover they had made and let me do my <laughs> own. So um, basically they stole a card from Etsy and... 1985 and tried to make it a cover, but I was like, hey, I got an idea. Um, anyway, so this, my first book was a book-length poem called The Beautifully Worthless, and um, I always had, it was a, really a road story about, uh, you know, uh, me and my dog, Rorschach, I had this Dalmatian for 16 years that um, I was in this sick relationship with, and um, we, um, she like bit every girlfriend I had in the face, and um, <laughs> And we drove across country, and I did this epic trip where I didn't, I went across country with her, and it was like pre-cell phones, it was pre, like, I had no, I had no credit cards or anything, I don't even know, I didn't, I had a map from AAA, I had a triptych, which, if you're old enough to know, it was a really great thing. Now they're trying to, I still try to get a triptych from AAA, but they keep telling me to go to the website, but um, <laughs> anyway, this journey with on the trip, I didn't know I was writing a book, but I, I brought this typewriter and I started writing this book and it ended up being this first book, The Beautifully Worthless. And then I, I thought, oh, I really wanna, I wanna write a trilogy of road poems about my relationship with this dog. And so this was kind of the second book and this book really is a book, it's my divorce book and my, um, it's a death book and it's a lot of like, fear of Rorschach dying. And um, so it's very depressing, but I'm still gonna read from it and I still hope you can buy it. And, um, <laughs> but it is a, um, it's, a it's in four parts and it's, um, it's really a book about grief. And um, I don't know, I'm grateful to have, I'm Marie Kondoing all my papers right now and I'm finding journals from like high school where it's just like the scrawlings of a crazy person. And um, I'm just so grateful that in some ways it's like a record of my own experience. And um, I think that that's what is so great about poems in general is like they're these like mini kind of psychic, not psychic, but psychic moments. <laughs> so that's the, um, that's the story.
Do you want to read? Yeah, a I'll read bit a little bit, and then um, a little bit goes a long way. And then um, I'll um, we'll talk a little more, and then I'll close with a few other poems. And then you can ask her questions. Yeah. all the questions you've always wanted well, to ask. Well, not her. all of them. Um, oh, I also wanted to let everyone know. I did write the book. You can see because I'm wearing the same shirt in the author photo. This is not like, this is, I wrote the book. <laughs> so the first part is a long poem about um, my ex's mother watching, being in hospice with her mother. I was like, why can't I see it? Have you ever gotten in the shower with your glasses on? Has anyone done that? And then you're like, my glasses? Yeah, it's really weird. Have you ever put glasses on over your glasses? <laughs> Have you ever swallowed your glasses thinking it's a pill? <laughs> we waited for the paramedics in the driveway, smoking and making phone calls, retelling the story of her beautiful death to everyone in her phone book. The ambulance surprised us. It pulled up without sirens on. Two polite men slid a gurney out the back, unsnapping each of its wheeled legs. I was afraid of seeing your mother's body taken away. They gave you a moment alone to say goodbye and then zipped her inside a bright blue body bag and pushed her on a gurney out the dim hallways of her own house. Rorschach will be 13 in a few weeks. I want to ask every stranger in the street, what's the oldest dog you ever knew? It's early and bright, the street apocalyptic in its emptiness, like a Sunday, but it's not. Rorschach tugs to get a good sniff of the flattened pigeon. It's real, I want to say, not a photographer's pawn dressed up in tatters, face streaked with soot. No makeup man lifting up those wings, pretending the edges of a last-minute escape. But no one needs to tell Rorschach what's real. Do you know how a goodbye can make you curious? Suddenly there's a million possible streets to explore. Rorschach leads me down a street draped in electrical wires. I follow, lost in thought, listening to the electricity popping above me. My thoughts are, do goodbyes happen years before the actual goodbye? My thoughts are, can leopards change their spots if you wait long enough for the leopard? I follow the crackling wires as far as they'll lead me. It's true, I thought, if the wires fall and these pops turn to sparks, we could lie down and feel them on our faces like raindrops. Rorschach was walking more directly under the wires. She would be the one to get it if they fell. Did I mention I was trying walking meditation? To live with a dog is to have it become part of your body. The first time I was separated from Rorschach, I dropped her at a friend's house the night before a flight. When I returned home to pack, the absence of her sounds was profound. No nails clicking across the floor, no tail thumping into a door frame. Even though she was only a year, I already knew which sounds would go when she was gone. To live with a dog is to grow old with a dog. This is how you lean over to help your blind dog down the steps. This is how you lift your arthritic dog onto the bed. This is how you greet the deaf dog after work. Look for her in every room until you find her asleep, then stand panicked in front of her until her chest moves. 
My life changed the day I brought Rorschach home, three months old and tiny spotted legs. I put a blanket on the floor a few feet from my bed. She stayed for a second, then scuttle, scuttle over to me with her tiny puppy legs. Each time I carried her back, I gave her a half-hearted stay. Immediately, she returned to me. After five times, I gave up. In the middle of the night, I woke to her suckling the bottom of my T-shirt. The whole reason we were doing this dance was because everyone said, don't let the dog sleep in the bed with you. You'll never be able to discipline the dog after that. But the whole point of having a dog is to let it sleep in the bed. Stop there. Oh my God. Truth. Um, gosh, I was just really struck like we should all be so lucky to have a poet present at our death. You know, like, right? How beautiful, like that, I mean, People die, people are dying right now, and it's just like that you were able to capture this profound moment in people's lives. And You know, I was thinking about Justin Chin, who's a poet, who was a friend of all of ours who passed away a couple years ago, and I drove up to San Francisco to see him, and he was surrounded by poets when he was dying in the hospital, and it was so beautiful. I thought the same thing. It was like, that's what, I mean... Don't let any bad poets come. There were a few poets I think he didn't like, but like. You'll have a, is it like in your living will? Yeah, I don't want. <laughs> Not allowed at my bedside. I just want one more white dove than Aaliyah got. Because I'm a Leo. Scatter my ashes at Sizzler. <laughs> Across the salad bar. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Um, oh my God. So, I mean, I, I'm so struck by that you're, um, I mean, these poems, like you're, you're, you wrote these poems sort of in real time, right? And now it's years later and the book is out and your life is so different and there's so much mileage between you and this time period. What is it like now to have to sort of embody these, this work again, and you're about to go out on the road and, and be reading from it all over the U.S. How, how, it's weird how does it feel? You freaked out right now? I mean, I do worry that no one will come to a poetry reading anywhere here where you have to because you might run into me, and I asked you. But, like, um, I don't know, dude. You know, it's, it's, it is different to, to the Torah novel than to Torah book of poems, especially when they're sad, but hopefully... We can all, I don't know. Also, my own mother is sick right now. So this is like sort of the, um, that's very strange to be having that. I probably won't be reading from the front portion of the book where someone is dying. Right. On the tour. This is fun, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, will you talk about your relationship to painting and how it does or doesn't interplay with your writing mm. and what painting is for you? Painting for me is fun. Unlike writing. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like painting is this other thing that I developed. Like, I never had any expectations of myself as a painter. It was just something, I, although I always wanted to go to art school, I, I never did that. So I, everything I do with painting is just something I taught myself, really. And so it's, it's this, it feels a lot like play in the way that writing is something that's been in my, they've both been in my life for quite a while, but writing's felt like this thing that I have to have, I don't know, I don't go around going, I'm Allie the painter. So I think I, I don't have those same things, you know, with painting. Although times when I've painted more, I've got some of that judgments. We're going to have a painting show, me and Nicole Georges, this summer at junior high. That's really, really exciting. exciting. Um, so, but painting is really, I think, 
fun and like I can go to a job all day where I have to write and then come home and paint where I couldn't go to a job all day and write and then come home and write. Right. So it feels like it's like, is it, do you feel like it's um, activating a different part of your brain or something? I think about, I took this class with Linda Berry and she always talked about like um, when approaching like a work, don't think of it as a series, don't think of it as anything but play. And I think, like, I often when I sit down to paint, I try to think of, like, I'll just have, like, the weirdest fucking thought. I'm like, I'm going to make a painting of that. I don't care. You know what I mean? And it's just sort of a, a very free place to be. Does she do that with her writing, too? Was she suggesting you do that with your writing? Or was she saying that about um, painting? I think she well, the, well, that's a bigger question, I think. Yeah. I think what... You know, she wrote that book, Cruddy. You guys, if you don't know Linda Berry's Cruddy, I bet they have it here. You should buy it. So good. It's a really great, but she wrote that book by paintbrush. Oh, so right. she sat down every day on with a legal pad, and for two hours she would draw out the words because she believed images were related to the act of drawing, not, not a typewriter, not a computer. So she drew, and she set the thing for two hours, and when that was up, that was it for the day. And then the next day she just started with the legal pad, and the last line of the that she'd written the day before, she'd just recopy and then go on. And that was the first draft of the book. And it's a, Cruddy's a great book if you haven't read it. It's, it's, it's just, it feels like a magical book that was written yeah. by God. It does, it does. That's a crazy process though. Life is hard enough. That's insane. Well, that just would make me want to kill Well, what myself. she said, it might not be for you, Michelle, but like it, what she said was the act of not being able to move quickly. When you'd have the thought for what the line was, the time that it took to paint the line, you had edited a bunch of shit in your head. So oh. it was like, it was just sort of this. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. But it still might not be for you. Probably not. No, I don't <laughs> think so. It's like I'm getting anxious. To I know. Um, so, so you're seeing this book as the second in a triptych? Well, the third, the third in the trilogy didn't end up. So I went across country in 2010 and I interviewed all these female poets for this project called The Heart Has Many Doors, which is the title of an Emily Dickinson poem, even though is not title poems, but anyway, um, and the the journey ended at her house, and I thought that was going to be another thing, and then that just been, ended up being interviews. So I don't think there are any more more books. There's not another Rorschach book. No, because I hate my dogs now, and I would never write books for them. <laughs> That's that leads me to really they nicely to our next books. question. They don't deserve books. So now listen, what is going on? Okay, like like there's Rorschach, like. Rorschach is like so holy in all of your writing, even though she was a fucking nightmare. Yeah, Rorschach she was a mean bitch. Yeah, of a dog, and but but she's like so holy. Like, it, uh, so what? She what's was going unpredictable. On? What's going on? Why she, are the other dogs so much worse? Like, why can't they? I'm reach done the with heights? dogs. I'm done. I want to live like rich two. fags and just go to Mexico City on the weekend and not have to think about dog care. <laughs> I don't, I'm done with it. I'll have a cat's from now on. No more dogs after this. I have th two if anyone wants them. How, how are, how, like, they're just, what's Rorschach up? was a special, I mean, I, I mean, we, we can talk about this. Rorschach I'm was trying. a dog that I, oh, I knew I always wanted a dog that was a Dalmatian named Rorschach before I got her. And then I got a dog and moved to New York with a fucking puppy like an idiot with $200 in a Cafe Bustelo can and thought that was a great way to start life in New York. And so I had this dog, Rorschach, the Dalmatian. And, um, and I think she suffered a lot like compared to my other dogs because of like just where I was in my life at that time. Mm -hmm. But she was like a person in some ways. Like I did drive across country with her so many times with her just sitting next to me like a mean person. <laughs> 
She lived to be 16. That's crazy. She was 16. Dalmatians. Dalmatians are crazy. And then I thought, I'll never get a dog as crazy as a Dalmatian again. And then I adopted these two street dogs from Mexico who are so much crazier than Rorschach (laughs) ever was. There you go. No books for them. They don't get anything. They're lucky to get dinner. (laughs) Um, How was your, like, what was your process around editing and breaking the poems into, whenever I think of your writing, a lot of times I think of this one time in the 90s when me and, I don't know what me and Allie were doing in North Beach. We had to have gone to something at City Lights, but we were at this little cafe afterwards and Allie had like her little army bag and she emptied it out and it was like, you guys, it was was so mentally ill. It was like a million little shreds of paper with like little tiny bits of poems on them, just like a little... It just was like... Because sometimes you write a whole page and then you go back and you read it and you realize only one sentence is good. So, did, so you cut like, out that sentence. Okay, that's what it was. And that ended up being the beautifully worthless. Yeah. So a method to the madness. Is that true? I don't know. Oh, it parts was. of it were, Parts yeah. of it were definitely. Parts of it definitely, definitely were. Um, and so I just, I'm always so curious about your process. And well, these- this was letters. In my first book, The Beautifully Worthless, there's letters to uh, an ex called Lammy. And it, she, it sort of marks where I am in the city and as I'm traveling across country. And I thought this would have letters too. But then in retrospect, it felt forced. Mm-hmm. There was a letters to uh, my sliding scale therapist in this. And... Um, it's another piece. It's another project. It's a different project. That's, that's a lifelong project. But like, uh, so then I just realized I just wanted it to be sparse and just four sections. And this, they are, they're, sec, they're, they're, yeah, they're separated into four sections. And the very last bit is this. I drove to, um, from San Diego to Carlsbad, New Mexico, because I always want to see Carlsbad Caverns, the, the caves. And I had written um, like 200 pages about Carlsbad Caverns, which is now Marie condoed in the recycling bin somewhere. But like, oh. no, it was garbage. But like, it was like, um, that I thought it was going to be this different book. And I went to all these places like the If you're ever driving up, I forget what that road is that would take you from San Diego south like that. Is that highway, any highway nerds here? Um, <laughs> no, the one that goes east, west to east. The eight, I think it's the eight maybe. Anyway, it, you go through this place called the official center of the earth. And um, it's this weird French guy bought this town in the middle of nowhere. And it's not a town, it's just dirt. And he put these plaques up and he called it the official center of the earth. And I was like, I'm going to go there. And um, <laughs> he, he built a pyramid in the place and you can stand in the official center of the earth. But guess what? What does that even mean? <laughs> what is the center of the earth? Right? I don't know. Anyway, it was closed. But, um, <laughs> like, so I stopped at all these places in Carlsbad. So the last portion is sort of like what was left of the, of the road trip and, and sort of just seeing, driving through the desert and seeing stuff like that. Do you want to read some Yeah, more? I'll close it out. Um, you know what's great about poems, guys? You don't need anyone to fucking buy them from you. <laughs> no one has to say, that's a great idea. I'll buy that idea. You just fucking write them. No yahoos like, oh. <laughs> let me Imagine ask. if you had to pitch your poem. Let me I ask. Like, I think it's about five lines. Imagine it. I, I really see it as just sort of getting into the death and sadness and just being there. (laughs) What if you leave knowing there's nothing where you're going, but you go anyway, 
You need the going, the hand out the window, the red rocks, all that. The hot wind blowing in the window, the back of your t-shirt stuck to the seat, wet with sweat. You need to find a humble, beaten God, like a bad petting zoo goat, always shooed for gnawing the wall. A God like a bar buddy, with a flawed and sloppy past, knuckles fucked from punching walls. Finding this God is dire, the same way it's dire to sit next to the right person in the break room after a friend's suicide. A God who'd never say anything stupid, who could understand how a person would climb the bleachers of a football stadium and jump, how this complex sorrow holds inside it the possibility of all our climbing legs. I want the emotions of coloring books, each feeling to remain perfectly contained inside its own thick black line. Grief, utterly grief. Joy, never seeping into anger. Here I am, not forgetting you at all, Like a dog, I drag our corpse from room to room. In the bedroom where your mother died, a tiny bit of Fresno light always seemed to sneak through a fold of curtain. How does a person dislodge the scenes that burn inside them like arsoned cars? The best thing about the desert is there's almost always a train going by, shipping freight cars stacked like colored blocks to the base of the sky. I wish the gap between those boxcars was my birthplace. I understand the risk of losing legs to hop a train. And that horn, who doesn't want to fuck to that sad shit? I drove for a long time beside a boxcar with doors open on both sides, a moving window. I stared through the window to the rest of the far-off desert. I wanted to stick my enormous hand through that gap and touch the other side to throw the revolver through, then the fistful of bullets. The gold bullets would scatter like sparks, like the beauty of driving behind a tow truck at night, dragging nothing. The chain hanging off the bumper, all those sparks flying up. These are taken from my taxes. Um, What if I don't even know the beginning of forgiveness? It's elusive like a word on a billboard in a foreign country. The same word next to a picture of a flat tire, a gear, or two crudely painted ovens. I guess at repair. I could repair a tire or an oven or a gear. Right now, the only words I understand are the dust, the barrel of nothing. It's Rorschach's birthday. We wear birthday hats and I sing to her. In the motel room, we eat pizza and watch TV. Someone told me Dalmatians are the only dogs that smile. Rorschach was born with a jet black patch over her eye. As she got older, the white hair slowly overtook the patch. Now the patch is almost white, the tide line moving farther up the shore. Tomorrow, we'll start our journey home, wherever home is now. Rorschach walks in a few small circles on the bed, then finally settles down. (laughs) Sorry. I thought I hated her. (laughs) I close my eyes and concentrate on her head, resting on my leg. I want to remember the exact weight of it. That's it. Thanks. Thanks, Michelle T. Everybody wipe their tears and think of a question for Allie. Oh, questions. Oh, God. 
Yeah, it's, you know, you're the author. Mm. People have questions, you know. She's a Leo. Yes. Get that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. The third book ended up being interviews. That, yeah. But they're really great. They're, and it's... They're published online on The Believer. Yeah. I went, visited a bunch of people and, um, and then I stopped at Emily Dickinson's house last. And you traveled by Amtrak. Amtrak, which is phenomenal if you've never traveled across country on a train. It's Quakers, <laughs> ex-cons, and, um, and retired people. people. And people terrified to fly. <laughs> and you. And some romantic writers. I really like the oh. dining car. You know what's so funny is... Oh, I want to get, tell you this story. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about... I think poems are just done when you someone takes them out of your hands. Do you know what I mean? Like someone could have published this book at an earlier state and it would have been a different book. So it's like, for me, I just... I feel like I kind of come and go with, um, this is much more clipped than some other, some other poetry that I've written. So I think when I was editing this, I was in a kind of very minimalist mental place. Cool. You Marie Kondo'd your book. Yeah. <laughs> so good. It's a TV show about watching people give away socks and choosing which ones. It's so phenomenal. <laughs> I haven't watched it. It's amazing. Mm, I feel like I write it all down and then I decide which words suck. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, to me, it's like what's so great about poetry is it's just a feeling that you're putting down and that some of those are better than others. You know what I mean? Like, people write hundreds. I mean, I just threw out a bunch of like, like 200 bad poems. I used oh, to have these just, files. No, they were awful. I will take they, them. No, they're already in the garbage. I don't want anyone finding them when I'm dead. You know what I mean? But it's like, shoot. There was like, just like you write a bunch of stuff and some of it's great and some of it isn't, you know? And so I think what I like so much about poetry is it is something that you can have in a day that feels like you did something that day. That's just between you and the universe, I guess. That sounds like fucking twee, but you know what I mean? It's like true. Um, any more questions? Well, yeah. Um, I was going to tell you, I like very much that you get ice cream choices and um, that it's dishes in the dining car, that you eat off a dish that makes a sound. And then I wasn't going to tell you that when I was on the train across country, I was working at a grocery store in San Francisco and I was wearing my hoodie with that name of the grocery store on it. And then when I was in the middle of the country, there was this, the grocery store had this coupon that was in the phone book that was very controversial. 
and it was like 20% off all your groceries, and people would fight each other for the phone books to get this coupon, and it was this big thing, and then the grocery store decided, we're not going to have the coupon anymore. Basically, no one knows how to act right around the coupon. <laughs> and, the, and the community revolted, and, and there were like 800 bad Yelp things about what a bad store we were, because we wouldn't do the coupon anymore. Anyway, I'm on a train in the middle of fucking country, and someone's like, saw my hoodie and was like, well, I think the coupon should come back. And I was just like, I can't even believe this is happening. So that's the story I wasn't going to tell you. Um, thank you guys so much for coming and being here. Buy Allie's book. Buy poetry books. Buy two. Give one to your friend. Yeah. Give one to a sad friend who needs comfort or a happy friend that needs to fucking be a little less happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Thanks, Michelle T. Thank, thank you, you, Skylight. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.